All right, we are back. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. My next guest wrote this incredible book, The Glass Universe, as well as other books, Galileo's Daughter and Longitude. It's my pleasure to welcome this week's show, Davis Sobel. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm happy. Happy to do it. I uh, understand you're calling in from New York. Is it freezing? Is it snowing? Yes, I, I, I'm <laughs> looking out at about a foot of snow. Wow. I, I, I have to say, I don't miss it. I went to Syracuse. So I remember those days. Ah. Yes. Yes, Syracuse. <laughs> much more snow. Than Burr. <laughs> so I told you, I read about you in USA Today in December and um, was so fascinated with this book, The Glass Universe. And I know uh, Hidden Figures just came out. Uh, I just saw it yesterday. Oh, you did? The movie. I read the book when it came out in September, but now I've seen the movie, too. I'm a fan. Oh, it was it was so powerful, and but I'm, I love your book, and then, and I love how you know it just empowers women, and, and so tell me, first of all, your backstory. What got you inspired to have this focus on science? Oh, that came from childhood. Everybody in my family was some kind of scientist. My mother was a chemist, and my father was a physician. So from uh, from a really young age, if, if I asked about something, I got a real answer, and I was never discouraged from having an interest in science. That's great. Yeah, because I know sometimes for women, science and math are, can be a struggle. Sometimes. Yes, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Or, or they're led to think it should be a struggle. Right. Which is really, there's, there's, no, there's no basis for that. I actually tell my daughters, the minute you feel lost in math or science, just get help. Uh, you're capable. Yeah. Y- you know, that's yeah. it. My mother used to say, if you're having trouble with it, you're doing it wrong. It's really very easy. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Now, uh, you were uh, a science reporter for the New York Times. How did yeah. that come about? How did it come about? Yeah. Um, it came about through through Harvard Magazine, actually. I used to write a science news column for them, and someone at the Times saw it and asked me to uh, apply for a job there. And the, uh, the original job was on uh, what used to be called the News of the Week in Review. But while there, I expressed a strong preference for science writing. So when something opened up on the Science Times, I got that job instead. It's fantastic. And I know you were the recipient of the National Science Board's prestigious Individual Public Service Award. That's fantastic. That was, that was a great honor, yes. Tell me about this book. How did you decide to focus on this subject? I first heard about one of these women more than 20 years ago. I was interviewing astronomer Wendy Friedman in California. She was then at the Carnegie Observatories. Now she's at the University of Chicago. But she mentioned Henrietta Leavitt as the person who had made it possible to measure vast distances in space. And I'd never heard of her. So when I went to learn more about Henrietta Leavitt, I discovered she'd been working in a room full of women at Harvard. And I thought that was astounding. Yeah. Not what one associates with Harvard. Sure. of women doing important science. So I, um, I, I continued looking into it, but 
as I said, this was years ago, because um, it's, a, it's a great big story. There mm-hmm. are a lot of characters, and there's, there's a lot of learning about the universe that takes place over the course of the story. And um, at first I wondered why nobody else had written sure. this history. And then when I started to do it, I realized, well, it's not an easy thing to do. So maybe that's why nobody had done it. Right, right. It takes a lot of passion and dedication, and it sounds like you were the person. Well, I'm happy that I was because it's been a great journey. It's interesting because the the Harvard Observatory women, they won awards, honorary degrees. Could you describe some of these discoveries that these women made? Yes. The, the, um, the women worked from photographs. At the beginning, they were not allowed to use the telescopes at all. Uh, Later, that changed. But mostly, they worked from images of the sky. And some of them were uh, views of the heavens that you would recognize. Others were pictures that were, um, that had the telescope view passed through a prism Mm -hmm. so that the individual stars, instead of appearing as little points of light, would appear as little strips of, of uh, their, their light spread out into a spectrum. Okay. And they would look at those tiny little smudges. Of course, they use magnifying glasses, sometimes microscopes. And from the patterns of lines in those spectra, they were able to tell the chemical constitution of the stars and to divide them into different meaningful categories uh, so that the, the categories actually turn out to tell the temperature of the stars and something about their stage in, in their evolution. Incredible. Yeah. Ah. And another great discovery was the one I mentioned first about Henrietta Leavitt using the, the cycle of... Um, variable stars that change their brightness over time, and being able to read in that an indication of distance. Because, as you know, when you look up at the sky, you really can't tell sure. the relative distances of anything. And this was true through the telescope as well. But with her discovery, the size of the Milky Way was determined, and then Edwin Hubble was able to show that the Milky Way was not the entire universe, mm-hmm. but that there were, in fact, myriad other galaxies. And later he used Miss Lovett's discovery to show that the universe is expanding. That so is so fascinating. It was very important. Yes, yes. I was going to ask you how we're benefiting today from the work done at the Harvard Observatory in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Well, I think the average person doesn't see a benefit, but everybody who does anything in the field of astronomy knows the names of these women. Mm-hmm. And when students take a course in astronomy, they learn a mnemonic for remembering the different categories of stars, and the mnemonic is, oh, be a fine girl, kiss me. Oh. <laughs> people say, oh, be a fine guy, kiss me. Mm-hmm. But that comes from the classification that was created by the women, by Annie Jump Cannon and others at the Harvard Observatory. 
That is so interesting. Why do you think these stories have been forgotten until now? All stories get forgotten. Astronomers remember them. Uh, Certain myths have grown up around stories which I was eager to investigate uh, and and, and to mythologize where where need be. But um, people have so much to think about. The women were certainly recognized in their time. They, the only place I think they felt unfairly treated was in the matter of, of salary. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's still true. So, so we, we still have work to do in that regard. But it's, um, it's such an interesting story, such a validating story of uh, a group of women who were given a phenomenal opportunity. Mm-hmm. The, the then director of the observatory was so broad-minded and forward-thinking that he made this possible for them. He gave them complete freedom in the way they approached the problem. He published their work under their names. He nominated them for prizes. It was a wonderful working situation, and it attracted the attention of wealthy women who put money into the work. And as a result of those fellowships, they were actually fellowships for young women to come and work at the observatory for a year and then be able to go work elsewhere at another observatory. And because of that fellowship money, when um, the first, the the, uh, the head of this project, Edward Pickering, mm-hmm. after his death, a new director came in named Harlow Shapley, and he wanted to start a graduate program in astronomy at Harvard. There had been none before. Harvard was in the business of creating information, not teaching astronomy. And uh, so to bring in graduate students, he needed fellowship money. And the only money he had were these fellowships for women. So all of the first graduate students were women, and the first PhD in astronomy granted at Harvard was given to one of these women, Cecilia Payne. And I do want to mention, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with, uh, is it, it's Deva, correct? Deva, yeah. Deva Sobel, uh, author of The Glass Universe. You have some wonderful pictures in this book capturing this entire story. Can people actually come and see these uh, glass plates? Yes. Um, it's, it's not set up as a museum or a place for visiting, but astronomers have come from all over the world to look at them. And because of the interest in them, there are half a million glass plates that survive from this 100-year period of photographing the night sky. Pictures now are not made on glass plates anymore. But these plates are still so valuable and contain so much information that they're being digitized. So you can actually look at them online. You don't have to go to Harvard and knock on the door. I have to say, I love the picture of Anna Palmer Draper, who funded the Harvard Project, to photo- and uh, there's a photograph of her. Portrait of her with yes. her whippets? Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, she was very wealthy, and uh, she had been an astronomer herself. She was her husband's assistant, and the two of them were embarked on a great project to do photography. They were among the first to be able to take these kinds of pictures. And just when they had everything set up, he died suddenly. And she couldn't manage to continue the work alone. So she gave her fortune, 
great part of her fortune to Edward Pickering at the Harvard Observatory to carry out the work. And she stayed very involved and very interested. They wrote letters to each other several times a week over a period of 30 years. What a story. (laughs) So where can people find out more about you? About me? Yes. I have a website. Yes. uh, DavisDobel.com. What do you want to know? Are you doing any speaking engagements? Yes. Yes. I uh, recently had a book tour, so I was at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, and I've not been to L.A. or Irvine yet, but I'm hoping that will happen. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Working on it. All right. There are some, the book festivals are coming up in March, so I'll be in Tucson and Phoenix and also Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, I speak to a lot of amateur astronomy groups. Well, before we wrap, let me ask you this. For people that are aspiring writers and they find themselves, because the theme of the show is get the funk out and people struggle through different issues in life. Do you have any advice for people that are looking to, you know, become an accomplished writer? Oh, my. (laughs) Um, You have to like sitting alone in a room. I would say that's the number one requirement. (laughs) Um, It sounds flippant, but it really isn't. Right. That is the job, and it's not for everyone. That's good advice. It's true. I used to, when I was doing my dissertation in Boston, I had two cats, they were great company at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they don't, they don't engage you in conversation that's not related to your work. Exactly. You have to be very, very focused and driven, and yes. it shows in your work. So I want to thank you so much for calling in. I hope to meet you sometime when, when I get to the East Coast. I think we should make that happen. I would love that. All right, Happy New Year, and you thanks too. again for calling in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Davis Sobel calling in to talk about her latest book, The Glass Universe, how the ladies of the Harvard Observatory took the measure of the stars. It's really, really fascinating. Again, kind of in line with the uh, powerful movie that's out, uh, Hidden Figures, which I just had a chance to see. So uh, one more guest coming on the line, uh, author Rachel Carlton Abrams. She's an MD and talking about her book, Body Wise. So we'll bring her on. In just a bit, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.